It's the Nevada Voice Podcast. I'm Carrie Kaufman. This past June, at Nevada Voice's first town hall, Alexander Marks was sitting on the stage at UNLV's Greenspun Hall with a bunch of very loud people. Alex, whom I interviewed when he ran against Senator Scott Hammond in 2016, hadn't gotten a chance to say much. We were talking about the new funding formula, SB 543. I called on Alex, and he said this. Every stakeholder was shut out of this process. The educators were not talked to about this process. The support staff professionals were not talked to. No stakeholder was brought in on this process since November of 2018. This bill was introduced on the 99th day of the legislative session. It had a hearing on the 107th day of the legislative session. And then at 10 p.m. at night, on the last day of legislative session, we got hit with the amendment that basically took out all the good stuff we liked. All the good stuff we liked? You can hear the vehemence in his voice. Since then, Alex and NSEA's Deputy Political Director, Chris Daly, have been pushing hard on the process as a state funding commission tries to figure out the new funding formula, the bill that Alex said that they were actually shut out of. Alex and Chris are both in the studio with me this week. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Carrie. It's good to be here. So I want to start with this funding formula. And I want to start with what led to that vehemence back in June, that anger back in June. So I don't know if it was anger. It was more, I think, frustration about a process that educators were not allowed to be a part of. Uh, previously, we had been a part of that process of the uh, the 178 weighted formula working group uh, that ended, I guess, in November when we had the uh, Ogden Blick report that was released. Mm-hmm. And then after that, kind of radio silence. Uh, we, we began the session, and I know uh, Chris Daly probably sent Mo Dennis a text message once or twice a week asking for a status update. When are we going to see language on this bill? When are we going to hear what the bill's going to do? And then we heard nothing. We had uh, consulted with the uh, the Assembly Democrats as well, and they were just as in the dark as we were. Uh, and then, like I'd said on the uh, the forum on the 99th day of session, we finally did get language, and it was a shock to everybody that was involved because it didn't look like anything that we had expected, and we had no knowledge of what the bill was even going to look like. And with a bill of that magnitude at the 99th day of session, when you only have 120 days, mm-hmm. you hadn't even had a hearing on that bill yet. So on the uh, the 100th or what was it the uh, 106th or 107th day, we had the the hearing. That's not enough time to work out a bill like that. You have shut out stakeholders that could potentially help the bill, but there was no time left. And then you have a rushed process that basically, you know, you had a a lot of legislators who just said, look, we have to pass something. Right. And I think that's an awful way to legislate. And that's basically why we have the bill we do now. And I think, you know, I know we'll, we'll jump to some of the, the content that we've had in the, the commission funding meetings we've had, but you're seeing the exact same issues that myself, Chris, other education stakeholders brought up during session being played out in real time during the commission funding meetings where they're kind of saying, well, we don't know what to do about this. Well, there's a reason you don't, because the process that led to you asking that question was awful and clandestine and shut out the people that needed to be involved. So this was actually an amendment. You didn't just ask no, and put I think, educators on the commission. Right. You put amendment forward. And, and for, the, for the listeners, I think what's key is, you know, Chris and I, along with uh, our, our staff and, and our, our council, actually drafted up amendments. So we're not just here tweeting loudly. We're not just complaining into microphones. We actually were proactive. We created and drafted amendments that would have resolved all the issues that we had with this bill. 
We didn't leave it up to them. We didn't say, hey, this is wrong. Fix it. We said, here is the fix. Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately, none of them were considered from us. We had other groups like Educate Nevada Now who also offered amendments. Time to go backwards in time. NSEA did put forward an amendment, which is linked on NevadaVoice.org slash podcast. The amendment would have done a few things. It would have, as Alex said, put an educator on the funding commission. That didn't happen. The 11-member funding commission is led by a former educator and administrator, but who hasn't been in the classroom for a while. There are four CFOs for school districts around the state, as well as a rural superintendent and a charter school leader. There are two community members who have previously acted as consultants who are on the commission, along with representatives from the cities of Las Vegas and Henderson. The amendment also included how to make sure Zoom schools, which focus on English language learners, and Victory schools, which focus on economically disadvantaged populations, are not harmed by the change in funding focus. See, SB 543, the new funding formula, mandates that the money must follow the student. That's the entire point. Well, one of the main points. So if you have, say, 12 kids at Dell Webb Middle School who are English language learners, Webb must get funding for those 12 kids so that Webb can provide them with the services. This may mean that Dell Webb has to hire one teacher for 12 kids. Pretty nice in the district where teachers are having to teach 40-plus kids per class. What NSEA and other stakeholders are worried about is if Webb gets an ELL teacher, will that be taken away from William Orr Middle School, which is a designated Zoom school? The Zoom and Victory programs have been successful since their implementation in 2015 and 2017. And is it practical for CCSD or other districts to send an ELL teacher for a school with a small population? That's something we'll address in a later podcast. The NESA amendment would also have addressed what Alex and Chris call the freeze and squeeze. The new formula favors school districts with large populations, Clark and Washoe. In other words, rural school districts, if the formula were implemented without consideration, would have seen less money. Lawmakers decided to put a hold harmless provision to keep rural education funding at its current levels. But Chris says that is not harmless at all. In Nye County, mm-hmm. uh, who's looking at potentially, uh, you know, a six-year freeze right. in, in not, not adjusted dollars, but in actual real uh, non-inflation adjusted dollars, uh, they're the fastest growing county uh, in Nevada. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're also one of the poorest with over two-thirds of their kids qualifying for free and reduced lunch. If they're stuck in 2027 with their 2021 budget, with more kids in their district, with inflation and the cost of doing business that's gone gone up, that's going to be a decimated school district. Are, have you talked to the Nye County representatives too? Uh so we represent uh, both teachers and education support professionals uh, in Nye County who uh, are, are currently uh, in contract negotiations uh, fighting for that 3% uh, raise that the, that the governor uh, promised. And just on that, just, mm. just l- let me update you on the 3% raise. Our local affiliates across the state, most of them have been able to negotiate something similar to uh, a 3% raise uh, for for teachers and other education uh, professionals this year. 
But there are a number of counties that are stuck. Uh, that include Douglas. Douglas County has been stuck. Churchill County has been stuck. And you know what these counties, uh, these county superintendents have been saying to their bargaining units? Yeah, well, maybe the governor included additional money for a raise this year, but we're looking at a five, seven, nine-year freeze. Mm. How can we re- responsibly give uh, you pay raises now when we're going to be slashing budgets uh, in two to four years? And we're talking about, when we talk about the freeze and squeeze, we're talking about the fact that the funding formula does favor the bigger districts and rural districts are worried that they're going to lose money. And so we have... We have Held harmless is what we're calling it. So it's not a. But tr- right. as you as you pointed out, it's not really holding harmless. It's just holding where you are. Right. As inflation passes, a, a you true buy. hold harmless would take into account everything Chris just said with inflationary cost of doing business. This does not. It basically just with the shift of funding keeps them at their 2021 numbers. Whatever that is is what they will get for the foreseeable future. It could mean a few months, but I think just when we did some of the back of the napkin math, I mean, I think some of the districts were looking at like close to late, you know, like 50 something years. Okay, so (laughs) I got to say, though, that have you talked to Nye County legislators? Because what I have heard from people is that that part of the issue um, is that that Republicans or rural legislators, rural legislators, not necessarily Republicans, don't necessarily like voting for taxes, especially if they're going to. Uh, have an impact here in Southern Nevada. And part of the freeze and squeeze is to kind of squeeze them to vote for more taxes for schools for their counties. Yes? No? Well, you know, so, I mean, we we work, you know, the Nevada State Education Association is a nonpartisan mm-hmm. organization. And so, you know, we work with all legislators who are willing to work with us on our issues. And we endorse candidates for office uh, that uh, align with us on our issues. Uh, lately, they've uh, tended to be more more Democrats mm-hmm. uh, than Republicans, although we have endorsed some Republicans. Um, uh, during the session, you know, we did work with, uh, you know, the Senate ma- Minority Leader uh, on on this bill uh, and other uh, Senator Settlemeyer. Yep. Uh, and, and other Republicans uh, on, on key committees, uh, including Senator Gokachia uh, from, uh, from Elko uh, and, and several others. Um, honestly, the, the bill wasn't in the assembly really long enough to work with anyone. Right, right, right. No. Uh, I was over there for two days. Uh, for, for, for a couple of days <laughs> and uh, was uh, in committee and then to the floor within two hours of signing die. Um, so there wasn't a lot of time to, to really do work over on the assembly side. In terms of saying it is true that, you know, Republicans, a lot of them, you know, are legacy from, you know, the Grover Norquist no tax pledge. Uh, and it's hard to get their vote. And so mm-hmm. uh, we've been working to win super majorities uh, in the legislature now with a Democratic governor uh, to potentially pass new revenues just with super majority votes. Uh, we came up well, one, 20, short. 26, one short, 26 20, votes 24, short or yeah, 24, 24 think, votes yeah. short out in uh, SD20. Um, you know, and so we're going to we're going to keep trying there. Uh, although I, even with super majorities, I'm not sure that Democratic super majorities <laughs> would have voted <laughs> no, uh, not, to raise no. taxes in, in this session because, a, you know, I mean, I think, uh, you know, the new governor, you know, has been strong on public education uh, at the same time, you know, he's out of the gate at his state of the state address uh, with a no new taxes pledge. 
Um, and at a certain point, uh, those two uh, positions conflict mm-hmm. uh, because you really need to turn on the switch that you need to turn on is the new revenue switch. Uh, and you can't really make uh, keep a no new taxes pledge uh, and pledge to adequately and fully fund uh, Nevada schools. Those two positions are incompatible okay, so- over time. So in terms of pressure on Republican legislators, I would say this. I, I believe in doing no harm to our kids. And, you know, there may be a political argument uh, that we really need to freeze out the rural areas so we can squeeze these Republican legislators to make them vote for taxes. My problem is the kids that are in those schools and those classrooms, uh, you know, the teachers uh, and other educators in those classrooms and at those school sites, um, if they get decimated and they get starved, um, is that is that the toll uh, that pro-public education Democratic legislators think that we need to to take in order to win new taxes. Um, you know, why not do it as equitably as you can, uh, have a hold harmless provision that actually holds kids harmless, um, you know, right across the hump in Pahrump, uh, very low-income communities uh, of, of kids and underfunded schools, freezing them uh, to get more resources to, uh, you know, equally as worthy uh, kids who need more resources in, in the Clark County School District. Yep. Uh, we think that that is not the right way to go about it. We think the correct way to go about it uh, is to implement the funding formula change as, uh, as you increase revenue to schools. And should Clark County uh, and the kids in Clark County uh, who have, you know, the highest percentage uh, of students who are English learners, yeah. uh, a very high percentage of students who are free and reduced lunch. Uh, should those schools get more resources? Yes, they should. Absolutely. And when new revenues come in, uh, a higher percentage of those new revenues needs to be going to Clark County. We agree. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, two things that, I th- that I'm seeing in the future, right? The Funding Commission, as you said, Alex, is going to be making decisions that are going to be pretty important. Uh, the other part of this, though, is that you have people running for office uh, in 2020 that will be um, sitting in the legislature in 2021 with the same exact governor. Uh, do you think that just because it's not going to be an election year or the, the census is going to be on track, uh, that the governor is going to say, okay, yeah, now we can do new taxes? Because that really was the holdup here. Right. I, it's not, I mean, it's always an election year in politics. Yes, it, it is seems. always an election um, year. So it's not going to be an election year for some because of them. Because the governor it, will have to run for re-election for in him, 2022. Right. Constitutional offices will be up in 2022. So I don't know if that will rein back some of the, the boldness that we really need in public education. I think it's just it's too early to tell. I think we're going to have to see what the commission recommends. And if that's, you know, an adequacy benchmark, if they make some of the amendments or recommend some of the changes that we've been yelling about in front of any microphone that's on in front <laughs> of our faces. But it, it, it will tell. I mean, you know, as, as we're gearing up at NSCA for political engagement, I mean, we're, we're focused entirely on this issue of where do you stand on this bill? This, mm-hmm. is, this is a, you know, this was the biggest bill in session. And unfortunately, most of the elected officials chose the wrong side without listening to the stakeholders. Okay, so um, and just to follow up, two two things that the governor uh, has said to us: mm-hmm. uh, one, that you know he has uh, faith and entrusted a, a lot of the details to the funding commission, mm-hmm. right? So we're engaged there, 
but he has also acknowledged the need to raise new revenue, significant new revenue, for Nevada schools. Um, uh, at the same time, he says that there needs to be a broad coalition and he needs to bring in all of the stakeholders and it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, but he has said uh, that he understands and appreciates that Nevada schools uh, need significant new revenue. So we'll uh, take Do we know the definition of significant? Uh, I mean, I think that there are many reports that have been done, mm -hmm. but you take a look at the uh, Augenblick study that was done last year by the SB 178 task force that I got to sit on uh, before we were shut out of the process. Um, I think that, you know, we're looking at about a billion dollars uh, is what we need for full and adequacy. How, how long do you think that it will take to get to that? Oh, we that's going to take that a, that's going to take a long time. Right. Um, but, what you I, know, but that is that's that's the goal for full adequacy based on, you know, the, you know, the Cadillac, the Massachusetts model of uh, public education. You know, if we got a half a billion uh, dollars in, you know, that would get us half the way there, which that. would be, yeah. which would be fantastic. So you, you said, you alluded to the changes you want in the funding formula that you talk about in front of any microphone. You yeah. are in front <laughs> of a microphone right now. Uh, so talk to me about what changes you want, and then we'll talk about the the actual commission and whether you expect to get those changes. So I guess the uh, the first one would be that we're calling for the Commission on School Funding to use its powers to address everything that we've been talking about for the last six months. So with the with the new funding, we've got you know the taking leadership on this this issue and proposing new revenue streams with benchmarks that could, they could do that. They're going to be hearing from a lot of groups like ours who are going to say this is where you could do. Gaming, mining, I don't know, but, you know, those are going to be suggestions you're going to hear. Um, recommendations to improve the implementation would also include a true hold harmless agreement, which we've we've discussed of making sure that you're taking in the, the cost of business, cost of doing business. Um, and I'll, I know Chris wanted to talk about the Zoom and Victory, but in terms of like reviewing the weights and making recommendations to ensure that we don't go backwards on education equity, which would mean to dilute the successful Zoom and Victory schools, um, those models. The commission also, in terms of the uh, anti-union fund balance, that's another provision that kind of surprised us. There was uh, a building session that uh, would have increased the end fund balance. Basically, it's money that the districts can wall off from collective bargaining. Mm -hmm. So the bill that died during session walled it off at, I think, 8.3%. This bill, which was passed into law, is 16.6%. The districts can wall off that amount of money. Obviously, as a union, we have a huge problem with that because we would like our bargaining to be collectively and, and, and successful. And Well, I mean, you have underfunded school yeah. districts mm -hmm. already, and you can understand school districts wanting to, you know, have solvency. Right. Uh, at the same time, a 16.6 in-fund balance provision potentially could wall off close to three-quarters of a billion dollars yeah. uh, of uh, funds – from the collective bargaining process. And the collective bargaining process is the one where, you know, teachers and other educators can go and try and get that, you know, 2% raise or 3% raise. It's time for a bit of perspective. Three quarters of a billion dollars, that's a lot. It's more money than I make. But the perspective here is that the total funding for K through 12 schools in Nevada is $6 billion. As Chris and Alex say, SB 543 walls off 16.6% of total school revenues to go to non-salary items, such as ending fund balance, so that districts can react to changing economic times. That's like putting away $16.60 
for every $100 you make so that you can pay your mortgage. Chris and Alex think 16% is too much. They are union representatives. It might be too much. I honestly don't have an opinion on how much, if any, money should be held back from going to salaries. But just some perspective. We're talking to two union guys. Okay, let's jump back into the conversation. In their paycheck, even with that 3% raise. The argument to that, to that is that we have crumbling buildings all around the state. Uh, we, and we need to be able to put money into infrastructure. We uh, need to be able to put money into class, into lowering class sizes. So we need to hire more teachers. Uh, and if everything is going to be on the table uh, for collective bargaining, then those kinds of things can't be done. This has been said to me many times. Well, well, yes and no. I mean, one of the things that we do in bargaining is that uh, we're not just bargaining for wages and wage increases. Right. We also bargain uh, around uh, other issues as well. And, and uh, while class size is not a mandatory subject of bargaining, we've been trying to pass a, a bill to uh, allow it to be. Uh, on that list of subjects of bargaining. Mm -hmm. uh, we do spend a lot of time talking about class size because as the state who's last in class size or first in class size, yeah, right. depending on uh, how you look at it, uh, with the largest class sizes uh, in the country, that's an issue that when we do internal polling of our members, uh, they feel strong, more strongly about class size than they do even about uh, the pay that they take home, uh, you know, that they support their family with. So um, our members, you know, love the kids uh, and are in it uh, for the right reasons. Uh, at the same time, that's not a good reason to, uh, you know, to, to pay folks. In some cases, our education support professionals uh, making close to poverty wages, mm -hmm. uh, being you know mm -hmm. uh, some of the you know CCSD is one of the largest employers of people who are on public assistance. Number one is Walmart. Second is Clare County School District. So, yep. so it's not it's not a good excuse to pay you know uh, low wages and just technically on the in fund balance if a school district is squirreling away sixteen point six percent of their budget in in fund balance they're actually not spending that money mm -hmm. on reducing class sizes right. they're actually not spending that money on improving uh, school facilities uh, that's just their kitty. Uh, that they're just holding on to reserves and. Uh, I just want to get some some clarification here on. Uh, you guys are a union. You represent sports staff, staff and you represent um, uh, teachers. Mm -hmm. um, much like in Chicago, we just did a podcast on that last week on the fact that that the, the teachers in Chicago were. Um, striking because they wanted to hire more nurses and more counselors and more support staff. Uh, so that makes the union bigger. Um, there are, I don't know how many unions, teach, uh, education unions here in Nevada. I count four, five, right? There's, there's the NSEA, Nevada State Education Association. There's CCEA here in uh, Clark County, and they were talking about going on strike. Mm -hmm. uh, there is the breakoff union, Southern Nevada. No. NEA of Southern and, Nevada. Okay, NEA of Southern Nevada. There's up in... Um, up in Washoe County, there's a WEA. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's is there separate unions in Elko or what have you. Yep. So, so how does how do Nevada's teachers and support staff come together uh, if there are so many unions, and quite frankly, unions that where people don't like each other very much. <laughs> so it used to be simpler. Right. Um, Nevada State Education Association is the statewide affiliate of the national. 
Education Association. Um, and, you know, we have uh, three dozen local affiliates that are all of these unions that you talked about, with the exception of CCEA, the Clark County Education Association. So about a year ago, the Clark County Education Association disaffiliated from NSEA, and we, you know, have been uh, somewhat publicly, uh, you know, in disagreement with each other, and there's litigation and uh, all sorts of uh, other bad feelings uh, about it. Uh, but every other uh, local affiliate in the state, you mentioned the Washoe Education Association or uh, ESEA here in uh, Clark County, who represents education support professionals, uh, they all are a part of the NSEA family. So, um, you know, we actually were more unified uh, than most states. Uh, many states have both NEA affiliates and AFT, the American Federation of Teachers affiliates, mm -hmm. and uh, different. Uh, unions and organizing going on. Uh, here in Nevada, we have the NSEA family of unions and then CCEA. Okay. <laughs> but guys... it, not that it's not rough. It's rough. It's yeah. rough. Uh, but it's actually, you know, less complicated than some states are in terms of the education union politics. The lawsuit? The agreement that we have with our local affiliates is that um, – if you're a member of, let's say, the Washoe Education Association uh, up in uh, the north, uh, you are a member of that union. You're a member of the state association, which us. is us, the Nevada State Education Association, and you're a member of the NEA. Uh, and we have agreements between the local, the state, and the national organization uh, where dues is assessed but then collect it by the local affiliate, and then the local affiliate processes that dues and sends it to the state, and then the state processes the remainder and sends uh, that up to the national organization. And, you know, the, the importance of having this three-level uh, union representation is that uh, your local affiliate can engage your school district, negotiate your contracts, your state uh, affiliate is able to engage state politics at the legislature where many of these important education uh, funding uh, and policy decisions are made, and the national organization can engage, uh, you know, in D.C. in the federal politics, and the NEA, you know, is fighting Betsy DeVos and, right. um, you know, attempting to, you know, get Trump out of office uh, so that we can have, you know, a return of focus to, you know, supporting communities and uh, improving uh, education. Uh, so I will. I would argue that it wouldn't be a return. That it wouldn't okay. be a long road maybe, back. Maybe a to <laughs> supporting education. All right. So we can turn back into hopefully in a better direction. Okay. Um, you are correct. Um, so you know. So that that's the the model and the magic of uh, you know the, the NEA yep. uh, family and having representation at those three levels. Um, so CCA. Uh, had an agreement with us uh, to collect dues, and then they just stopped remitting it, but they kept collecting it. So they, you know, kept millions of dollars of member dues money that um, they were, you know, in our opinion, in our legal case, uh, contractually obliged to send up to the state affiliate and then uh, the national. And um, and there are teachers who disaffiliated from CCA who want who want their money back. Is that part of this, the, the lawsuit? So there is, there were teachers who left CCA, who right. who formed a new union, right. the 
National Education Association of Southern Nevada because they valued so, the connection with right, their right. state affiliate and uh, the national organization, uh, and they affiliate it with us. So they mm-hmm. are our local affiliate of and they uh, are teachers part of this and lawsuit. Um, there are teachers who are members of uh, NEASN who are part of the lawsuit. And I think kind of just dovetailing off that, the reason these members left CCEA, created their own, the new local union, the NEA of Southern Nevada, there's a lot of benefits of being a part of not only NSEA, but NEA in terms of membership benefits, insurance, those types of things. Um, When CCEA failed to remit the dues, there were members of CCEA who still, one, believed that they were members of ours, and to this day still probably do, but didn't have insurance. So if something had gone wrong, I mean, God forbid, you hope it doesn't, but that's something that they would have run into. There were members. Don't don't they get insurance from the school districts? Um, I'm talking like life insurance and those Mm. types of things, not like the health or, but the health, I'm sorry, yeah, clarify that. Um, but it was that kind of thing. Like they didn't know where any of their money was going. They just, it was that, and then it was gone. Um, so that's a little level of, you know, why the new union was created is because you want to be something of some, a part of something bigger. Um, you know, I think when you look at all the other strikes, there's a perfect example around the country, you know, all the other groups that had a strike and were successful were NEA affiliates and they would get support from the state and get support from the federal and the national rather. Um, you didn't see that locally, and I think that was one reason they never did because they didn't have any support from anybody else nationally. They were on this little rogue island on themselves, and you know I don't know. And if yet it's... they won. And the... they they did have to they ate a provision around uh, looking prospectively at uh, pay PGP. for uh, yeah. pay for performance, mm. uh, which is kind of a third rail uh, mm-hmm. issue for yeah. uh, for unions, um, and that's. Uh, you know, that's a whole nother program uh, of discussion as to why that is. But, uh, you know, you can say they won. Um, they won on uh, an economic provision, uh, but they lost on uh, po- possibly lost moving forward on this uh, worker protection. Right, because it might be a merit pay issue now that they're going to – like you said, they're going to reopen. And I think that was an indication we got from the district that they're going to start looking at merit pay, which most teachers I've talked to are not – a in favor of. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, if, if it's a win, it's on a win on a very narrow issue, but I don't think in terms of the larger picture of charters pulling resources out, we have the largest class sizes in the country or some of the largest, we have the lowest teacher pay in relation to the largest class sizes. None of that was solved in this, you know, faux strike that they had. And, you know, I think that hurts the larger effort of not only the national groups, national unions, brothers and sisters fighting for those types of things, but didn't solve any of the issues we still have in Nevada of underfunding the charter schools and overcrowded class sizes. Uh, I'm going to end with uh, you, there is an election coming up, and uh, you do endorse people. Mm-hmm. What is it that you want to hear from people who are running for assembly and senate? We don't want to hear <laughs> things like it is unfortunate that SB 543 was worked on primarily behind closed doors without input from legislators until end of session. Um, you know, we, we have been putting out, we have our, uh, our endorsement surveys are written. Some have been sent, some have not. We're still waiting to see who's going to declare. But I think, you know, we, we say champions of public education, but we, we mean true champions of public education. You know, we saw a very interesting couple last hours of session where we didn't get the conversations we were expecting based on the relationships we've built over the years. Um, so we're looking for, people who are looking to make that bold decision who might not say 
I'm not looking to do this for 12 years. If this is the one vote that gets me kicked out, it was the vote for Nevada and it was the vote Nevada needed. Um, that's, I think, the mindset we need of the people who say, this isn't a job to me. This is a mission. I got to get out, do what's right for the state. If it costs me my job, that's fine because I'm not here just to get reelected over and over again and then jump to other seats that are open as well. Are you working with the governor? Yeah, we are in, mm-hmm. uh, we're in communication with the governor. We've been, uh, I've been talking to Alexander Marks and Chris Daly, both of the Nevada State Education Association. We've been talking about funding in Nevada, the funding formula, and the funding commission, which is trying to figure out how to implement the funding formula. Uh, thank you guys for being here. Thank you very much thank for letting so much. us talk into a microphone loudly. <laughs> it's the Nevada Voice Podcast. You can hear this podcast and past conversations on Apple, Google, and iHeart Podcast apps. You can also find us on NevadaVoice.org's temporary website. The full website is being built by students at Southwest Career Tech. I'm Carrie Kaufman. Thanks for listening to the Nevada Voice. <laughs>